How many know that you can have a plan and, um, and it doesn't always work out that way? Just ask the Minnesota Vikings. <laughs> Just ask anyone who has a plan. And this morning I plan to talk about what it means to be a Christian, and we will we'll get back to that. But this morning, I just want to share my heart to something the Lord laid upon me to speak. And it's in Revelation 21. If you have your Bible, Revelation 21. This is towards the end of the story. This is towards the end of the story. Where if you know the Bible, you know how it begins. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you know that he formed mankind and he made them in his image. And he put them in a garden. And this garden had the tree of life in it. It had another tree in there as well. But it had the tree of life in there. And that tree of life was necessary in order to give them the ability to live forever. I mean, that's the whole purpose of the tree of life. And God gave them a means of eternal life with him in his presence here on earth. And you know the story continues that in chapter 3, the serpent shows up, the people fall, they are now removed from the garden, they are now no longer allowed as human beings to be in his presence. And that, that is a very important aspect of the Bible that we just tend to overlook is that God wants to get us back into his presence. God wants to get us back as his people. Because see, as, as a human being, we, we cannot, flesh and blood, the Bible says, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So we as people with our flesh and blood cannot be in his presence. Why? We are not spiritual beings when we are born. We are dead spiritually. And that's why Jesus comes and just like the Bible says, the first Adam gave life, but the second Adam, the first Adam was a living being, but the second Adam is a life-giving spirit. So now Jesus comes, he dies for us, he puts the Holy Spirit inside of us so that we can become alive again, and now, as his people, we have access to God's presence once again. That is the story of the Bible. That is the whole point, bringing us back into his presence. We could not do that on our own, no matter how much we try to obey the law or try to do good things, no matter how good you are. If you do not have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you do not have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And if you do not have the Holy Spirit inside of you as a seal, as a deposit, a guarantee of what is to come, then you will spend eternity separated from him. But because Jesus loves us and he, he put his his son on the cross so that he would be the perfect sacrifice, we now are alive in spirit. We can go past the boundaries that separated us between God and the people. And now we are able to enter by the blood of Jesus with confidence into the presence of God, according to Hebrews. So the story begins off by God establishing this world, creating a place for us to be in his presence. And it's in the garden that mankind was allowed to be in the garden. And that's where we were. And now the garden was not just some open territory. You know, we think of the garden, you know, and we think of it as just this beautiful place and all the animals are running through it. That's not what the Bible, that's not the picture the Bible paints. What the Bible tells us is that when Adam and Eve were removed, God sent cherubim 
which are these guardians of his presence. And you see this all throughout the Bible. The cherubim are assigned to guard the presence of God. He sends them and he tells them to block the east side. That's it. Just the east side. Why? Because there must have been some type of wall or structure to keep everything out. And when, when God wanted Adam to name the animals, the Bible says that God brought the animals to Adam because they were not in the garden. And so there is this ideal of this garden, this walled garden that God protects, and he had his people in that place. That's how special Adam and Eve were to God. People in his presence, living with fellowship in that place. And then they fall, they get kicked out, and God promises he's going to send a seed, he's going to send a savior, and all throughout the Old Testament history, you see God working behind the scenes, bringing us to the point where Jesus is born, Jesus comes on the scene, he dies, he raises from the dead, he defeats death and hell, he takes back what was lost, and now offers all of us a chance to go back to the place that God wants. And so now, the way the story began is now how it's going to end in the book of Revelation. Now, the book of Revelation, for some people, is a scary book. Not because of what is in it, it's because we just don't know it. You know, it's been, it, 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 a lot of people have different interpretations of the book of Revelation, and they overlay all these different ideas. But let me just tell you, it's not that complicated if you remove yourself from reading it. Because what we do is we try to overlay our thoughts, our history, our ideas, or what other people have said in the text. But remember, God wrote this and gave it to John so that he could give it to the churches. He tells them earlier in Revelation, give this to the churches, so they would understand it. But not just for them, but for us too, because how many know truth is truth? Whether it's here or, or somewhere else, truth is truth. You do not put your hand in a fire, you're going to get burned. In a few weeks, my family and I, we're going to go to Cancun, and hopefully we'll be around a little fire on the beach, and I'm going to test it out. I'm going to make sure truth is truth. I'm going to put my hand in the fire. You know what's going to happen. Truth is true no matter what. And so God wants us to know the truth. And so that's why he gave us the book of Revelation, to know what the end of the story is like. And what is it like? It is like this. The way it began is the way it's going to end. And so here's where we're going to pick up in Gen or Revelation chapter 21. Now this is, this is right after Jesus returns, the second coming, which we'll get into all of this stuff because th this is eventually going to be a part of the series I'll be teaching on the church. But this is after the rapture. The rapture is when Jesus comes back for his people, take us up, we are transformed, the dead in Christ will rise first, and we get to go to heaven, and we get to go celebrate at a meal. I just can't wait to go to heaven and just see Pizza Ranch right across the thing saying, okay, marriage, supper of the Lamb, Pizza Ranch, here we go. And so, so we get to go to heaven, we're in heaven and all this, but then there's some things happening down here which we'll talk about, and it's the tribulation, the end time, the times of peace, times of destruction, and then Jesus comes back, the second coming. And this is why his second coming, the Bible says that when he returns, people will be mourning. People will be in anguish. People will suffer. Why? Because this is not for the church. This is for 
judgment. And that's what's happening at the end of chapter 20. That Jesus is going to judge people and he's going to finally, all those whose names are not written in the book of life are going to be cast into this place that was not even designed for them. It was designed for the devil and his angels. And they are going to be in hell forever. And God is going to take two things after he sends the people, two things, and he's going to throw them into this eternal lake of fire. He is going to throw the grave and he's going to throw death into this eternal lake of fire. Now, here's where we pick up. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there's no longer any sea. I want you just to understand this. This is something completely new that has never been experienced before on this earth. Because this is where death is no longer a part of the system that God created. You see, death was always here from the beginning. Now, if you want to know more about why death is here, I wrote a book called The Story of the Bible, and there's a little chapter in there that talks about why death is here. But it's just a part of the natural system that we have. Everything that lives will eventually die. That's just the way it is. But God wanted us to live forever, so he gave us access to the tree, the tree of life. But we lost that. Now we have eternal life in Christ. And you know what eternal life is? You know what's interesting? Eternal life, the way we think of it, meaning live forever, is actually a little different. Do you know how Jesus defined eternal life? Quickly, turn with me to John chapter 17. It's funny how we translate certain words, but we don't really think about the context of what it means to have eternal life. Because how many know that we would have had eternal life whether Jesus came back or not? We would have just been stuck in the grave forever. Because when life is produced, it lives. That's the characteristic of God. When God gives us life, it lives. Now, our physical body can die, but our soul will always live. So Jesus is coming. After Jesus said this, he looked up towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all the people that he might give them eternal life to all those who have, you have given him. Now this, this is what Jesus is going to define eternal life. This, this is eternal life. They may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. The ideal that we have of eternal life is something of just living forever. We're going to live forever no matter what. But Jesus says, you know what really is eternal life? What really is life eternal is knowing him. What do you think Paul says? That I want nothing a part of this system that is here. I don't care about my heritage. I don't care about my identity. All I want to know is Christ and him crucified. I just want to know Jesus. That's eternal life knowing him knowing him back to revelation chapter 21 <clears throat> says that i created a new heaven and new earth there's no longer any sea i saw the holy city the new jerusalem coming down out of heaven from god prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband now according to scripture there's only one bride that is being prepared for the bridegroom and that is the church. And so here the angel is showing John, because remember, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, but it was given 
to John by an angel. So the angel is showing him this vision. He says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, no mourning or crying and pain, or old order of things has passed away. I want you to see what is happening here. John looks up and he sees this new Jerusalem coming down. And what was so important about Jerusalem? It was the place where the temple was. It was the place where God's presence was. That's what we talked about last week. It is a place that is sacred because that's where God is. And now the Bible says that heaven opened up and now comes down this new city. And how is it described? It's described as a bride beautifully dressed coming down upon the earth, a new earth, a new earth. And then he says that he will... He will be their God, and God is actually going to dwell once again here with us. This almost sounds like a garden that was once placed in the beginning. And that's exactly what it is. The way it started is the way it's going to end. God once again is going to bring his Jerusalem, his garden, his presence down to earth. Could you imagine that? Now, I know a lot of you want to, to hang out in heaven and, and, and call that your home, but the Bible has a different picture where we are no longer actually going to live in heaven for eternity. We are going to live on a new earth with him. Because see, this is the whole thing that God wanted for us. Why did he make a garden? So that his presence can be with us while we rule and subdue the earth. While we are, author we are authorized to govern this place. To be a governor to be a ruler. Now, think about your life right now. Not many of you will say, hey, I am a ruler. Not many of you will say, I am a governor. Not many of you will say, I am of that importance where I will judge angels and sit on the throne with Jesus judging the 12 tribes of Israel. But that's what the Bible tells you. That you are going to sit upon the thrones with Jesus in Revelation 3, he tells to those who are victorious that you will be given the right to sit upon my throne. That's how special you are. That's why God designed heaven to be here on earth because this is where we live. And this is where we're supposed to work. This is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be over the earth ruling, governing, to make the earth and this was the whole ideal of the Garden of Eden, to make the rest of the world like the garden. That was their job. To make the rest of the world, the ideal of subdue it, the rest of the world just like this. Now, in the end, you got this new garden, this new Jerusalem that's coming down. The Bible says that there's no more, there's no more tears, there'll be no more death, no more mourning nor pain. And the old order of things has passed away. And he says this in verse 5, He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then write these words down. Write this down. And he said, write this down. For these are the words that are trustworthy and true. God is making everything new. Everything. 
And then he said to me, verse 6, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water with, without cost for the spring of water of life. I will give water without cost for the spring of water of life. Back in 2019, we were going through such a difficult time financially. We were entering into foreclosure on our home. Because we believe what God promised. But things weren't working out. Things weren't working out and, and it was horrible. We didn't have a penny to our name. Put smiles on our face because we weren't trying to fake it. Matter of fact, when, when people found the story out later, they're like, why did you tell us? Why did you tell us? Because we really believed God was going to do something. Why? Because he kept coming to us in prayer time saying, I'm going to do it. Take care of it. Matter of fact, on the day we received the packet from the law office saying that they were going to foreclose on us and our home would be sold on February 25th, that day the Lord told me, before I got that piece of mail, he told me, trust me and wait. And then I opened it up. And I'm like, God, what are you doing? Now during this time when we didn't have anything, my wife broke her ring. One of the prongs came off. We took it in. And because at the time we didn't have the insurance, when I bought it, they didn't, they didn't offer metal insurance on it. And so it was going to cost out of pocket like almost 200 bucks. And I took it in, and this was like earlier in 2019, but I didn't have $200. I didn't have enough money to pay for our home. And it was in September, the Lord shows up to me one day in prayer, and I'm just praying, asking God, where are you, God? Where are you, God? You told me, you probably, because see, I don't know about you, but in my prayer time, I get pretty honest with God. Because see, that's the secret place that where we can go to. And it's in the secret place where he rewards you, according to Matthew 6. And so I'm in there and I say, God, where are you? You told me all these things. You just you promised me all these things. God, where are you? And you know what he said? It was like heaven opened. And he said this, go pick up your wife's ring. Bring it home. Obviously, God did not know the password to my bank account because there was no money in there. And so I didn't. Because I, I'm not going to spend gas just to go up to Mankato to pick up a ring that I can't afford. And so my wife, for months, went without a ring. For months. Finally, God comes through a few days later in 2020 God saves our home God does all these wonderful miracles and now I finally have a couple bucks in my pocket things are starting to pick up and I had a meeting in Mankato and so while I'm in Mankato while I'm in Mankato I decided you know what I'm gonna go and stop by and get my wife's ring I opened up the email I looked at the invoice I made sure yep I got it so I go up to my meeting and end up having a good time with that. And then afterwards, I go down to the jewelry place and I go down there and I pull my debit card out. I was happy because I knew this thing worked at least to cover the amount for the ring. And so she looks up the information and, and says, you know what? Um, yep, we got it. Here you go. And I handed her my debit card. 
And this is what she did. She puts my debit card down. She says, we're good. You're all set. I walked out of that place without paying, and I put it back. And she says, we're all good. We're, we're good. You have a good day. You see, God told me in September, go get it. You see, sometimes we have a hard time believing what God says. But I'm going to tell you this. Why did he tell John these words are trustworthy and true? Because when he speaks, he means it. And it will come to pass. So when God tells you something or you read something in Scripture, you must hold on and believe. What did we sing this morning? That he is the great I am. What does that mean? It means this, that I will be whoever you need me to be when you need it the most. When you need it the most because I am whatever you need, I am. If you need a friend, I am. If you need provisions, I am. If you need safety, I am. If you need God to turn the page of the story because the chapter you are in is too difficult for you, he still is God. He's trustworthy and true. And he said to me, verse 6, it, it is done. It is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost. Just like he gave me a ring without cost. You have to trust him. Verse 7, to those who are victorious will inherit all this. And I will be their God and they will be my children. Listen to what he said. To those who are victorious will inherit all this. The Bible is very clear on who is going to inherit the kingdom. It's you. It's you. Let me tell you something. I don't own much life. I don't own much. But my God, your God said, you, me, you, look around. All of this you will receive as an inheritance. Why do you think the Bible tells us that we are heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. We inherit all of this. This is yours. You see, our Father has been preparing this for a long time. You right now, you don't feel like you own anything. You feel like everyone else owns you. The health of your body owns you. The money in your bank account owns you. The negativity and all the problems of this life own you. But you better remember this. It's trustworthy and true that your Father in heaven is going to wipe all those things away. And he says, you hold on, you be victorious because you will inherit all of this. All of it. When the day comes when my wife and I pass upon this earth, and for some reason she says we're going together. I don't know how that's going to work, but we're going together. <laughs> we do everything together, we're going together. She says that, you know, when, when, when the day comes when the Lord calls my wife and I home, our daughters each have a set of china they will inherit. But my daughter-in-law, all she wants is our coffee cups. 
And there's even going to be a fight over those, I'm sure. But that's all I can give them. But our Father in Heaven says, all of this that people think now is theirs, no, it's yours. That's why He tells you to trust Him. <clears throat> he says this in verse 8, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexual moron, those who practice magic and idolaters and liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. God tells you, listen, all the people that have been gain, trying to gain this world and trying to have everything you can here, the one life that is here and they're trying to get all the treasures of this world, they will inherit nothing except eternal suffering and pain. But for my children, for my sons and daughters, they will inherit everything. <laughs> could you imagine that? I mean, <laughs> could you imagine that? Imagine if we all went out to Pizza Ranch this afternoon. And obviously, I'm hungry. I keep talking about food. But imagine we all went to Pizza Ranch, right? We go out to Pizza Ranch. And we went with the owner and the CEO of Pizza Ranch. He was here with us, or she, whoever, whoever they are. They, we all go together, and he, he tells us, listen, I'm going to take church out today, we're going to go to Pizza Ranch. It's on me. It's on me. So we walk in to Pizza Ranch, and we're all happy because we have a free lunch. And the owner comes up, he says, hey, I want all of my guests, I want the church today to receive free lunch on me. And the cashier just looks at him and says, who do you think you are? You got to pay to eat my chicken. I don't know anyone in Fairmont that talks like this. But she gets a little attitude with the CEO. The CEO says, okay, fine. Pulls out his wallet, takes out a credit card, and on that credit card, it has a picture of him, says CEO, owner. Puts it down and says, you pay for it. Fine. You see, people don't know who we are. They look at us and they think we're crazy because we follow a God we've never seen. They think we're crazy because we believe that God can heal God can deliver and God can provide all without resources here on earth. You see, that's what we believe. And they don't know about our God. They don't know who He is. But we do. Continuing on, verse 9. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls of wrath full of the seven plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Once again, this ideal of a bride is being brought up. The first time when the word bride was brought up, it was to describe a city. Now, the angel says, and he carried me away by the Spirit to show me the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me what? The holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. I want you to understand what, what is happening here. John is telling us, listen, there is this great city and it looks like a bride. 
And now the angel tells him specifically, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Now, specifically, it is talking about the church. And then all of a sudden, the church turns into, the next scene turns into the city. And it's coming down out of heaven. It's shone with the glory of God and the brilliance was like that of precious jewels. What is coming out of this? What is coming out of heaven? Do you know what's coming out of heaven? You. You are the city. You, me, the church, the bride. People think it's just some place, and it is going to be a place. There's going to be some type of elements. You want to know why? Because Jesus told us that our Father's preparing a home for us. He's preparing a place for us. Jesus is not just using figurative language. Jesus is serious. Jesus is looking at his church and says, man, we better pray a place for these people. You know, we better make sure that, that when, 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 when they come to be with me, everything is set. And this guy named Ortega, listen, angel, you go down to Home Depot and you go get that color Honolulu blue and you paint his whole bedroom the Detroit Lions colors. That's what I want you to do. I'm preparing a place for him. Jesus is serious. He's preparing a place for us. Now, he may prepare it, but my wife will still decorate it. That's just, that's just a fact. But he's preparing a place for you. When's the last time you thought about that? We had James over just this last week because it was his birthday. Lisa had to join him, so we had him over to celebrate the birthday. You know what we did? We prepared a place. We made sure that every single room they saw was clean. After that, we closed the door. But we prepared a place for them because we had guests coming. We prepared a place. Jesus is preparing a place for us because we're that important to him. And he's making sure every detail is set because his family is coming. According to scripture, his brothers and sisters are coming. And he wants to make sure that when we get there, everything is good. So the second mention of the, the bride, the wife of the lamb, the angel shows him a city coming down. And verse 15. Or let's, let's go down because he talks about measuring it and he describes it. And let's go down to verse 22. <clears throat> he said, I did not see a temple in that city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The whole point of the temple was this. The whole point was to make sure that God's presence was somewhere that was holy. And because now everything is new and because now the church is the city and we have been changed and transformed by Jesus Christ. We are covered in his righteousness. We are innocent, righteous, brilliant, without blemish. God now can dwell with us together. And that's why there's no need for a temple. The city does not need, verse 23, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gave it light and the Lamb its lamp. The nations, now listen to this, the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it who are the kings and what are all these nations because the bible tells us that we are going to be sitting on the throne with jesus as rulers 
over the earthly realm. This is what he said to Adam and Eve. This is why he designed human beings to be what? To be the rulers. His kids, Adam and Eve, were designed to rule. The Bible tells us in Luke 3.38 that Adam is the son of God. Adam is the son of God. And God gave Adam the ability to rule over the earthly realm. And so then, God chooses another nation as his people. And he says, listen, if you just obey me, keep my covenant, you will be my priesthood, a holy nation. You'll be my special possession. But they didn't. They didn't keep it. They broke it. But God was going to send the seed. And he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross. And now he offers that very same promise to us. And what does 1 Peter 2 tell us? That we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that we are God's special possession. Who? The church. That we are. We now, as a church, as the book of Ephesians and Galatians talk about the two groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, become one, a new thing, a new creation, the church, the body of Christ, the bride of the Lamb of God, the one that is described here in Revelation 21, that's us. The ones that are victorious, that sit upon the throne, that judges the 12 tribes of Israel, that judges angels, that are put in a position to rule over this earth, the church. It says this, the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its graves ever be shut, for there is no night there. The glory of the nations will be brought into it. Once again, you have this ideal of the people of God that are in this city, that form this city, with God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus there, and the people of God are there forming this city. And now the Bible says that the kings of this earth and the nations will bring its glory, bring its treasures to the city. To God. And then verse 27 is a very strange verse. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the book of life, the Lamb's book of life. Think about this. This is a new heaven and a new earth. This is a place where God wiped away death. This is a place where we, as his bride, come down. And now they're talking about nations and kings. And then all of a sudden, verse 27 says this, nothing impure will ever enter. What is impure in heaven, on earth? What is impure? What, what is shameful? What is deceitful? I will talk about the future of us as people in eternity. The Bible does give us some hints of what's going on in the future. But this morning, I want us to understand just a couple things. Number one, we are his city. We are his temple. The Bible tells us this in 1 Corinthians, that, that we are God's temple. You together are a building. You together are God's temple. 
That's the first thing. The second thing I want you to understand is that God wants to dwell with us. God has always wanted to dwell with his people, us, the church, his children. Now, everyone has a chance to be a part of the family of God. The Bible says that all you have to do is believe in Jesus and he will give you the right to become children of God and that according to John 1.13, you will be born of God. You can actually call the Father in heaven your Father. All you have to do is believe in Jesus. That's it. He's offering that to everyone. Everyone has a choice. So remember that God wants to dwell with his children and he's given us an opportunity to do that right now because Jesus is coming back and he is going to rapture his church. He is going to take those that are his and they are going to be in heaven as the tribulation happens here on earth. We'll talk about all of this. But for the fact of the matter is, is that God wants us to be with him forever and he's given us a chance today. And then... At the very end, when it's all said and done, there are going to be things that are going to need to be ruled and governed in this world. But I want you to know this, that in the end, only the people of God, His children, which we call the church, are going to be allowed in His presence. Do you remember the Garden of Eden? It was not open for everything. It was only open and provided Adam and Eve access. His children only had access to the garden. And once again, at the end of Revelation, his children only have access. Because see, there's going to be kings and there's going to be nations and they're all going to come to the glory of God and they're going to bring their gifts. They're going to honor God who is Lord over all. But only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life are allowed to be in his presence that's how special you are to him that's how much he loves you so this morning the lord wanted me to share that with you because here's here's the problem we don't always feel special we don't always feel like god is is working on our behalf because we don't see him we don't feel him at times. We don't hear him. And we're praying and we're asking God, please, please, God, I need your help. Where are you? I want you just to know this, that his word is trustworthy and true. And the Bible says that he does not lie to you. Listen to me. He does not lie to you. And when he speaks, he will act. And when he promises, he will fulfill it. Every single promise that he has spoken to you in scripture or in prayer time, you better believe he's going to make it happen because that's who he is. I don't have all the answers. I don't know how. I don't know how tomorrow is going to work out. I don't. And I'm being honest, right? I'm being transparent with you. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I'm, I, if I start to think about tomorrow, I will start to cry. And I mean that. But I think about him who holds tomorrow in his hand. And what happens tomorrow? I look at him and he tells me, it's going to be okay, son. He tells me, believe me, trust me, do this, do that. And you know what happens? It ends up being a good day. Because I know this, that my God is the one inviting us to come home one day 
to enjoy the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he's the one who owns everything. He knows what he's doing. So trust him. Trust what he says. And believe that every promise that he's made to you will come to pass. That's why you pray. That's why you believe. And do not believe what your eyes see. Do not believe what history says. Our God is the one who writes history. And our God is the one who writes the future. Our God is the one who knows all things. So put your faith, your trust in him. Amen.